Philo community, welcome to the Philo podcast. We're just a few weeks away, removed. I don't know what the right way to say that is. We just did the Philo conference a couple weeks ago, and man, what a time we had together. Uh, it was so good to be back with people in a room, and it was you know a bit less than normal, but it still felt very much like a Philo event. And I was amazed at the number of teams that came together, sat together, worshiped together. That really gave me hope for the future of events, really. And it was also amazing to hear stories from Singapore and India. And I just really love the idea of churches around the world becoming more effective because of their tech people becoming more effective. And really, that's kind of what we're here for. That's what Philo is all about. Not just the conference, but everything we do. The podcast, Philo staffing, Philo coaching, Philo resources, all of it. We just want you to become more effective so that your church is more effective. And, you know, uh, someone asked me what my favorite part of the Philo Conference was, and I've been having a difficult time nailing it down to just one thing. I think for me, seeing an army of people serving the Philo community to pull off the conference, that was pretty amazing. I mean, people doing what they do best for the sake of the Philo community is really always inspiring to me. And whether it was a breakout faculty, you know, giving their time and wisdom so that you could learn a new skill or... Mandy, who helped feed all the volunteers on site, or Andrew, who helped get the Spanish translation up and running. I mean, it takes all different kinds of people, different gifts, different skills, and I'm just so appreciative of everybody that helped, and I just loved watching it all happen. I'm also super proud of the work that the Philo Core team did this year. I mean, I definitely made things a little more complicated by pushing us towards doing a live and an online event at the same time. I mean, basically what you you guys are doing each week. And this year's Philo was definitely a huge push. And I love that the team was able to accomplish it. My other favorite thing is that we started a Slack channel called Next Year. And throughout the event, everyone kept adding to it. And I would say much of it was related to things we shouldn't repeat or things we forgot, which I honestly love. I mean, I think, you know, to try something new and make some mistakes while you're doing it, I mean, you just then have a chance to learn from them and, you know, not repeat them, but also make whatever you're doing better. I love that. All right, let's get to the podcast. Today's guest is Tony Franzen. Tony and I, we go way back, uh, but then didn't work together. I mean, it's probably 15 years separating the first time we worked together and the second time we worked together. Anyway, we got a, a chance to catch up in at the end of 2019. And I said, hey, man, love to have you on the podcast. So it took us a while with COVID and all that stuff. So we recorded our conversation last fall, and it was really great to catch up and hear kind of his story, as well as talking about some pretty amazing lighting stuff. So I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So let's jump right in. Tony, how's it going? Hi, how are you? I'm really honored to be here. Thank you for uh, inviting me to do this. Yeah, it's great to have you. Glad we could finally connect. We just did a job recently. I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago, but we were at the same event. So we kind of bumped into each other after, I mean, I I don't think I've seen you since the first time we met, maybe, which 2006 was a long time ago. Yeah, right. I mean, it doesn't sound that long ago in my, like, just emotionally, 2006 doesn't sound that long ago, but it, it was in fact. It was a lot of life. <laughs> a lot of life has happened in 15 yeah. years, that is yes. for sure. <laughs> yeah, so we met, uh, so I was working at Willow Creek and Delirious, the band, which I don't, they don't exist anymore, came to do a... God, I wish they did, though. They were so good. Oh, they were great to work with, too. I mean, not only were they great, but they were, like, excellent people, 
but yeah. they, they were doing a DVD project and you were their lighting LD for that. Yeah. Yeah. They, so I met a few years before that, I guess it was probably, I met Ian Cattle. Oh, right. And Ian's going to circle into this talk probably a couple times because he's <laughs> been involved with some more recent things I've done. But Ian was involved with this band called Plus One. They were a uh, Christian boy band. Okay. Turned turned rockers. Okay. You know, I don't know that their following followed them through the rocker zone. So when they <laughs> left the the boy band phase, I think a lot of their fan base fell off. But in their in the ending part of that, they were um, connected with the Newsboys, and I okay. think Peter Furler from the Newsboys, he's a big bald guy if you've ever seen them play, had produced their record and then asked them to go on tour. And Ian happened to be the the production manager for the tour. It was okay. an outdoor touring event, which if you've ever done an outdoor touring <laughs> event in the fall, like – uh, through the Midwest, maybe. Yeah. yeah, it was through everywhere, and it was a <laughs> oh god, the weather was horrible. We were in mud, muddy fields all over the country. Uh-huh. It was called Festival Condios. Okay, and uh, and we traveled all over the place, and from all the way east to west. And man, oh man, was it a tough tour! I remember that very first tour with Ian. We had a very, it was a very low budget event uh-huh. and um, touring show there was probably about 20 artists on the bill. Okay. So all through the day that, you know, you'd have to be ready by noon or one, I think is when the whole thing started. And then there'd be like 15 minute slots all day long. Oh man. Until the evening. And then, you know, plus one would play and then the newsboys would play. And at the very end of the evening. So there was, there was kind of a, an all hands on deck attitude to get the show up. You know, sure. we put up a, uh, you know, an SL, I forget which SL model it was, but the, one of the larger SL stages every day. Okay. And then we hang, hung back in the day of park hands, you know, yes. and everything. <laughs> so 120, 120 K of pars and, you know, 12 <laughs> movers and cyber lights. I think it was. Oh man. 12 and, whole uh, movers. And then, yeah. 12 <laughs> movers. And, uh, and, you know, I think newsboys had a little package of strobes or something that they would bring in. But it was very minimal, you know, and so uh, they had one lighting guy that they had hired and I was with the opening act. So I was just kind of along for the ride, you know, Mm -hmm. and the one lighting guy had not from the vendor had not uh, realized how much work it was going to be and how fast he would need to move to get the rig up by noon every day. You know, it was a a fast moving deal. And he was just one guy. And often like, you know, just the feeder run was like 200 feet from, you know, whatever building was nearby, you know, right, right, right. Field and mud and all that. <laughs> so they asked me to start pitching in and I, you know, I said I would happily do it. Honestly, I didn't even want any extra money for it or anything. I just wanted to like get in there and, you know, get my hands dirty and help. Uh, you know, I was really at the time, you know, I was probably 21 or 22 years old, just trying to make a name for myself. Sure. And so, you know, you did anything you could, you know, right. And right. so I would end up, I would end up in the, in the roof every day, focusing all the pars. I was kind of young and fairly agile. So I could like get around (laughs) up in the rig, you know, Uh and then I would jump down and I'd help the headliner program his portion of the evening. And then I'd get in there and program as fast as I could. It used to be a really speedy little programmer. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, it was a simpler back bet. Only twelve movers. Yeah, a lot yeah, easier. Yeah, I mean twelve <laughs> movers and some parts. <laughs> yeah, just like flash, <laughs> flashing buttons, yeah, different color park hands. Yeah, that's my kind of lighting right there. That's what I was yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was not high art by any means. But yeah, so I would help them out, and 
and then you know about midway through the tour i realized i was doing most of the build every day and uh, and the vendor guy was really just dealing with the, the you know plugging up the racks and kind of that piece of it and so i was like man this is a lot of work yeah yeah <laughs> and so and so i went to ian and just had an honest conversation with him and i said hey ian I, I feel like I'm doing most of the work every day, like actually uh-huh. building the rig and trying to get things up and going. And I said, is there any wiggle room in the budget? Like, <laughs> I don't want to ask for anything, but like I'm out here with my, with my band. And so like, just I'll take whatever, you know, even, uh-huh. just, even just a little bonus or whatever. And he, he took that to heart. He listened. He said, I, I'll get back to you. And I said, uh-huh. great. And at the time, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money. I was really, it was a, it was, it was not a high paying job to be working for a Christian rock band at the time, you know, an opening Christian rock yeah, band. Yeah. An opening yeah. Christian <laughs> rock band. Right. And we're not even headlining, you know, it's just not a high paying gig. And he came to me about, I don't know, two weeks after we talked, I think we were in, if I'm remembering it right, we were in LA, we were doing an event in some really beautiful field that evening. Cause LA yeah. is always nice. You know? Yeah. And he, and he walked up to me and he handed me an envelope with, you know, a, a, a decent sum of cash in it. Uh-huh. I think it was like a couple thousand dollars at the time. Oh, nice. And I was like, that changed my whole life, you know? And I, it almost moved me to tears because I was literally just working my butt off trying to, you know, make a living for me and my family at the time. And uh, my, just, I was only married, just me and my wife. But yeah, uh-huh. and I just was so taken back. And, you know, from that moment on, we became really good friends. And Ian and I kind of built our relationship over the next number of years, which led me into getting asked to do delirious stuff whenever they came to the U.S. So they would come over and do short stints. Right, right. So that kind of ties it back into, you know, delirious, I guess you could say. And so they did a small tour and the tour went phenomenal. And I feel like they had a lighting guy with them on the tour and they had just asked me to come out and make sure he felt comfortable on the lighting console because I knew the programming side quite well. And so I just basically spent my time helping him get his looks up every day and make sure that the rig was focused correctly every day. And then during that phase, they, they started realizing I had some chops and that I could do some things. And so when it came time to do that, that DVD that they were going to shoot at Willow Creek, they asked me to be the lighting director. So it was like a really, for me, that was like a huge moment. Right. Like, Oh, you trust me to like handle all of this, you know? And that was a very, very large video shoot. We had, you know, a ton of lighting that we had brought in and I think the church had a ton. And so it was just a lot. And I think if, if I'm not mistaken, my memory is that we didn't have enough rehearsal time and we, we did a run through that we recorded and then yeah. there were tons of changes. And then like yeah. 30 minutes later, it seemed like, then we we're doing it again. Go again. Yeah. And yeah, with an audience now. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I remember about that night was how radically different from a lighting standpoint, the rehearsal to like the changes you made to the actual program. I was like, how did he do that? How did you have time to do that? Uh, I was just so impressed with yeah, your ability to take all the notes because there were a lot of them, I recall. Yeah. And, you know, turn it into something like, this is what you asked for. And yeah. 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 And that's kind of been the, the, the name of the game for years for me now is, you know, from that point, I really do think that was my very first, like, 
attempt at doing video, like, like lighting, lighting for, for video. video. Yeah, which is a totally different animal than just lighting. <laughs> yeah, and I did not know what I was doing. I'll be completely honest about it. Like, I feel like I... <laughs> I feel like I, I got it done, but I did not know what I was doing. Right. Yeah. And I learned so much in the, in the next 15 years that got us to this point. Right. Right. And it's been a real ongoing thing. Yeah. So that was the first attempt. And so I, I feel like that was like, Oh man, I'm going to learn about how, how fast paced this is and how much pressure is involved and right. how important a good team is. Yeah. You know, I think those were some of the like early things that, that helped me kind of get from there to there, you know, sure. and I got to do another one with Jeremy. I worked for this artist called Jeremy camp back in the day and I got to do a, a live DVD for him as well okay. shortly after that Willow Creek thing. And so, you know, each one of those you do, you learn a little bit more and you right, kind of right. tweak on it and tweak on it and it gets better and better. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's uh, maybe back way up. So before 2006, yeah. I would love to know just like, how did you even, decide that you wanted to be involved in lighting? Like where did that, where did that originate? Oh man. Okay. So give you the full story. So my parents had a ministry, uh, and they toured all across the United States. Okay. Uh, it was a, they had a play that they would put on and it was very much in the vein of, you know, scary into heaven kind of thing. Uh, okay. <laughs> and so, uh, good stuff. And yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so it was a very intense production. And so it involved lighting. Um, and that was really my first exposure. It was not high end, high quality stuff. We're talking about a couple of trees of pars and some Love strobe it, yeah. lights and, a, uh-huh. and some black lights and things like that. I think you can't scare and, people into heaven without strobe lights. You gotta have strobe lights. Like, and we're not even talking. We're not even talking like you know data flash or you know, any of the cool strobes back in it's like days. Radio we're Shack, about probably like Radio Shack. Yeah. Realistic was the brand. Realistic right. strobe lights. Yeah, like it's full on. Like man, you can kind of see them. You know, like you gotta pitch black the whole room and then turn them on full, right, right. and it's like okay, now now we see something moving. Right, know? like get like people's <laughs> eyes adjust oh, to the darkness. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Like, it's so dark, so dark. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of how that was my first real exposure. I guess we had this little. It was a six channel. Dove Systems made these little six channel. It was basically a dimmer pack. Okay. with faders on it. Okay. And you could plug the pars right into this little console, like directly in, and you had like okay. a 220 that plugged into the end of it and like that fed everything. Wow. And that was like my first exposure to lighting. I was like, oh, look at this. If I bring that fader up and I could like store a couple scenes, it's terrible, like eight, eight <laughs> park hands. <laughs> anyway, but I started reading, you know, my first real like education towards lighting is back in the day they had this magazine called Lighting Dimensions magazine. Oh right, sure. Uh-huh. And and it was a very well-known publication in our in that industry uh at the time and and I remember reading about it and I remember I remember reading about like at the time very lights were were coming of age. They were right. you know, the, the the 2 Cs and the 5s had just come out. Uh the VL5 and like these are these were like cutting edge fixtures, and high end was starting to kind of venture out. Uh, they had just done, I think they had just done the Cyberlight when I started getting into this, and so it was like the new yeah. hip thing. And um, and I started reading back in the day. They used to publish the plots, the lighting plots. Oh right, sure. Um, yeah, they would actually publish them over like a two over both pages of the magazine, and so every month I would get a new Lighting Dimensions magazine. 
and I would study these things. Like I'm 14 years old, like just uh, studying <laughs> Lighting Dimensions magazine. Like how how are they drawing these plots? And I was looking at you know designers like Steve Cohen and Mark Brickman and Peter Morris, and like these guys were designing the biggest shows on earth at the time. You know, for huge artists like Bette Midler, which <laughs> is so funny to say, you know, yeah. Bette Midler or U2, uh, Pink Floyd. I mean, these are the, you know, Elton John, Billy Joel, like those are the people that were being right. featured in the magazine, you know. And so I'm just like gleaning from these people, like just being blown away. And I remember reading about some of Mark Brickman's stuff and, you know, he was designing all these huge Pink Floyd events where they, you know, giant arches and screens that would float up and appear and turn and then float <laughs> back and disappear. Like we're talking giant structures that were moving. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I had never seen anything like that in my entire life. Like unbelievable. And so I just loved it. And I started reading about VL2Cs and VL5s and, and the Artisan console, which was the big lighting console at the time. Like this thing was bigger than my desk, like almost eight feet wide. Wow, yeah. You know, and like just massive console that you had to touch physical buttons to do everything. Yeah. Couldn't see but over was, the top of was, it. Yeah, <laughs> so it, used like yeah. A, it, it used a Mac. It used an Apple like... 2C or something like that <laughs> as its brain. Uh-huh. Like this thing was cutting edge. <laughs> you know, when we think about it now, it's like silly, yeah, yeah. but you know, back in those days it was it was really cool. So I uh I, I really got into it. So my parents let's go back to my parents' place. So I told my parents, I said, you know, we should add, after reading these issues of Lighting Dimensions magazine, I was like, we should add some some lighting, some real lighting to our uh-huh. show. And my dad looks at me and he's like, that's going to cost a fortune. And I was like, I don't know. Would you mind if I made some calls? 15 years old. Yeah, okay. Do you mind if I make some calls and like see what this stuff costs? <laughs> so I remember I just went for the jugular. I called, I called, uh, I called three companies at the time. One was Tomcat because I, I wanted to know all about trust structures. Sure, right. So I just called Tomcat and I was like, Hey, could I talk to your leading sales agent? I'd really like to know more about trust structures. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, sure, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, well, Who are you with? And I was like, told them my parents' ministry. And I was like, I'm with such and such ministry. Um, would love to hear all about these structures. We're interested in doing something in the future. And immediately, you know, sales guy wants to talk to you. you sure, know? right, right. And then I called and then I called Verilite. And I got a hold of this guy at Very Light called Barry, called Gary Carnes, and he was kind of a legend back in the day, uh, putting together some of these huge touring productions. But he was their lead sales guy, okay. and he was doing all the big shows at the time, oh, like wow. all the ones I had been reading about. Yeah, I just get on the phone with them, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, so tell me about what you guys do. And I said, well, you know, actually, we're going to be in Dallas. You should come to our event, and I'll uh-huh. show it to you. Okay. We're, we had, we were starting, you know, the, their ministry was starting to kind of like grow to the point where they were starting to do like theaters and mainstream venues sure, a little okay. bit. So we would do mostly churches, but like maybe like three a year, we would do like a, like a little local county arena or, sure. you know, like a little theater or something. Right. And so we happened to be playing at a theater in Dallas. And I, I said, why don't you come see the event in Dallas when we're there? <laughs> And then we can talk and right. maybe talk about how you guys could be involved with our next big event. And so he came out and he loved it for some reason. He like took to it <laughs> and he, it was so cheesy at the time too, but he just like, <laughs> he just took to it and he was like, yeah, I think we should, I think we could do more with this. And, um, he's like, we need to get you down to very light and get you trained and like, get you, 
get you on the artisan and like he and I'm literally 15 years old and he knows this at this sure, point. Sure, right. You know? So I arranged I arranged we were doing an event uh, at Lakewood Church back when John Osteen was still the pastor before Joel had taken everything. Right. And I called Gary and I said, Hey, it would be really cool if we could, if we could, if we could use very light to provide our, and they had a, they had a side company. So very light would, would lease you their lights with no production services. Right. Right. But then okay. they had another business called VLPS at the time. And it was very light production services. They provide you the trussing and any other fixtures you needed. Got it. The whole gamut. So we got VLPS involved and we actually, they actually provided us a whole package for this event which I drew based off of the, <laughs> he sent me, he sent me field templates. Okay. Um, these little green, I have them somewhere. I wish sure, I could yeah. pull them up, but I, I literally still have them with the but, shape of the, uh, he sent of me the field fixtures. Templates. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you could do a plan view and you could do, you know, your front, your front view. And like, that was it. Like, so I drew this whole thing up and I had been practicing drawing to scale. I had like this little pencil and a scale ruler and all this stuff. Okay. And that was like one of these things I just love to do when I'm 14, 15 years old. I love to just in my spare time, draw plots. Right. And I would take, <laughs> and I would, I would take the plots that I'd be seeing in lighting dimensions and I'd figure out how to draw them to scale with like, you know, with like a full on title bar and like, you sure. know, scale ruler built onto the drawing, like the whole deal. Yeah, yeah. And so that was the early beginnings of me, like wanting to be a designer. In fact, I, it got so bad that I, you know, I would dodge out on my schoolwork because I was homeschooled. You know, I'd be okay. dodging out of my homeschool to do to do plots. Okay, I, I just loved it. My mom was like, "You cannot do this anymore. Like you have to focus." <laughs> and then, you yeah. know, I'll get, I'll go out and buy you, you know, e size paper, and you can draw plots all day. But like. <laughs> So I'm, you know, it's crazy. So as we would go to churches, I remember, and I still have a lot of these drawings. It's so funny. As we would go to churches, I would, I would start measuring the stages and I would like, I would start to scale drawing them. Okay. And so that, that was like my early CAD drawings, I guess you could say, <laughs> but they weren't CAD, you know, it was a right, stand drawn yeah. deal. Anyway, very light came in, did that show. I met an amazing programmer named Brian Ferris. He, and he, he opened my eyes. He, Brian was doing, he was working for people like Sheryl Crow and like doing uh, Yanni events. I don't know if you remember sure, Yanni, yeah, but I sure do. had this piano player, like did these huge things in front of these massive, uh, you know, like well-known sites all over the world. Like right. he would do yeah, music yeah. in front of like, you know, the, the Coliseum like or that. whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And so Brian was doing those types of things and just randomly he got assigned to come do our play and, in Houston with at, at Osteen's church, you know? Okay. So he's like, great. What am I walking into? Yeah. He comes in there all by himself. We end up having to build the whole thing. Him and I by ourselves, uh-huh. like literally like, you know, we got, uh, I think we had 40 fixtures on it or something, but it's, you know, it's a ton of work. It's only two guys. Right. Right. We're like building it all by ourselves. And I had never connected feeder in my entire life. And he's like, yeah, here, uh, Here's the tail. Run that feeder. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what do I do? With <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. You plug him in. So, but he at the yeah, but at the end of all that, I actually had pre-thought out going into that event. I pre-thought out all the looks I wanted. Uh huh. And so I had, you know, obviously just been studying these magazines and all the photos and all the different cool things. And so I actually had kind of a kind of a board in my mind of what I want, like an idea board in my yep, mind, almost yep. like Pinterest, you know. And I just basically said these are the things I want to do for these different sections of the, of the show. 
And so we started building it out and he actually was, he told me he was very impressed at the time because he was like, man, I didn't expect you to understand any of this. And he's like, you knew exactly what you wanted. Right. And he was like, that's, that's like half the battle. And I was like, okay, well, that's cool. I didn't know how to program, didn't know how to do any of that. He did all the programming and right. then he would interject when I was making a mistake typically. <laughs> and, and built it out and it turned out great. The video turned out good and it all, it all looked great. I mean, they shot it there cause they have all the camera, they had totally. all, you know, back right. in the day, they were leaders in that world. You know, they were shooting, shooting Pastor Osteen every Sunday. And so they right. just had all the, they had a jib and things that churches didn't even think about buying back in those days. Right, you know? right. Uh, so that went really good. He, at the end of that event, he gave me a box of diskettes. I wish I still had them. I actually <laughs> did get rid of these because I, I hate media. I hate like CDs. I hate all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, get yeah. that out of my house yeah. or my office. And so he gave me a box of diskettes, which was at the time this program called MiniCAD. Mm-hmm. MiniCAD went on to become Vectorworks, which is a very well-known piece of software that everybody use, yep. everybody uses now. And I just happened to learn MiniCAD back in the mid nineties. Okay. And I dove into it and he, he handed me this box of diskettes and he's like, here, don't tell anybody I gave you this, you know, it's an expensive <laughs> software, but he's like, he's like, just, you know, stick it on your computer, install it. I had a, I had a Mac. In fact, it's sitting right here. I'm going to grab it really quick. Okay. This was my very first <laughs> Mac right here. I had that same model. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was a, it was oh. a PowerBook 1400. Okay. And I, I keep it on display because of this is this is my beginning right here. This yeah, is okay. where I started. So I installed MiniCAD on there and I began learning how to draw in CAD and taking the things that the concepts I had learned from drawing on paper and just reading all these lighting dimensions magazines. And I started actually creating, you know, mm-hmm. creating things that like real plots that you could print, like really nice, decent looking stuff. Yeah. Now I look back at some of these things and they're terrible. Yeah, pretty awful. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like compared to the standards now, like it's, we've come a long way, but man, oh man, what an education that was. Right. And so I would call Brian every couple of weeks and probably bother him and just say, Hey man, like, could you tell me how to do this? I'm trying to learn how to like loft surfaces or I'm trying to learn how to, you know, draw an arc and like make it follow this line or whatever. And he'd be like, yeah. Oh yeah, let me show you. So I just started learning the fundamentals of, of drawing okay. that way. I didn't go to, I didn't go to school to do what I do. Right. This was my school. Sure. And because I was so into it, I took it really seriously. Right. And like right. I took learning all the tools really seriously. Like some people like they go to class and they, they you know, I just got to check this box and like right, get out right. of class. For me, it was my, it was all I wanted to do. Right. And so I was learning every little piece of information I could find. I, that led into conversations about how DMX works. DMX was a, was a new-ish standard at the time. Right. Now it's like the, you know, it's like it's the only yeah. standard. Yeah. And so how did you make the jump then from yeah, doing the lighting and learning on your own to like doing shows other than your parents' play? Yeah, other than my parents' thing. So that initial DVD that we did was a was a big it was actually a VHS. I take it back. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm feeling so old right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, What's a VHS, Tony? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back in the day, kids. Sorry, yeah. PSA. <laughs> yeah. So, how did I make the jump from doing it, you know, homebrew to to the real deal? So I. We moved to Nashville. So we actually okay. lived here where I live now in Fayetteville, Arkansas at the time. 
Okay. Um, we lived in a little town just north of here called called Springdale, and that's actually where Tyson headquarters is now, and okay. where the, all the chicken comes from. <laughs> my dad and my mom had always wanted to live in Nashville, so they bought some land in Nashville, north of Nashville. We're going to try to relocate their ministry there and really like expand. Like okay. that was their goal, and so we and like you know we knew it would be closer to production companies there where we could actually do a little bit more real things than what we had been doing. Sure. Right. The goal was to increase the quality and to like really make things a lot better. That didn't necessarily all happen. My parents had a brutal divorce after they got to Nashville and like life massively changed. Wow. But that said that first two years that we got there, I started helping at a lighting company, literally sweeping the floors. Okay. Like I would go in, it was a little company. Um, it was called Imagine. They built trade show booths for sure. like corporations. Uh-huh. And I think there's, I think they may still be around or at least the owner may have rebranded, but I think that's, that company is still out there, but they okay. basically built trust structures and did all of the, like all of the scenic work. Often it was like printed things, you know, like right. really nicely printed boards that would hang from trust structures and things like yep. that. Yeah, yeah. And they would build these things. And so I would go in there and literally just sweep the floors, like whatever, whatever I could do. Like if they'd let me like put a truss structure together, I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) What's the matter with you? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Literally. I'd be up there all night. Like you'll let me touch the lights. Great. You know, like finally I get to play with the lights and the lighting console. And so I would, I would literally stay up late every night and like do that at the lighting Mm -hmm. company. Until they started realizing and seeing kind of some of the stuff I was doing and they started asking me to like go do events. They were like, well, we're going to load in um, Bridgestone Firestone. Would you mind coming with us to load that in? You know, okay, yeah. okay, sure. You know, that was one of their big clients at the time. There was another one called Safety Clean, which sure, is right. like a, you know, a chemical waste company. And, uh-huh. um, you know, I started learning about all these corporate events and that's right. kind of my first taste of things. Well, they had a client kind of sideways called audio adrenaline they were a band sure yeah and and so audio adrenaline was actually rehearsing in their space okay so i got to know their lighting director drew baca who was like you know monster lighting guy back in the late 90s early 2000s okay just unbelievable what he did and so i got to hang out with him a bunch and that really was like the next connection to the business sure okay it was like brian ferris drew baca through Drew, I met Andy Dunning, who's still like a monster lighting designer to this okay. day. Develops a lot of the Vectorworks software, a lot of the plugins that they use for sure. like video screens and things like that. Andy created all that. Okay. Very, wow. very smart guy. But those are all those. Andy was doing DC Talk back in those days, who was a very light client. So like Gary Carnes kind of connected me to Andy and Drew sure, and all these okay. guys. So it just, started, it just sort of started to like turn into something. Sure. Yeah. And I'm just sweeping the floors and getting time on the consoles. Well, Drew starts asking me, he's like, Hey man, can you set up the hog for me? He's like, I'm getting ready to go on tour. He was, I think he was doing Clint Black or something at the time, uh-huh. the country artist. And he's like, Hey man, can you, can you set up the hog for me? So I don't have to like do all the pre-work and like, right, you know, right. I'm just ready to go when I show up at rehearsals. You know, this is back in the day when, when there wasn't previs that didn't exist yet. Right. Yeah. Previs was setting it up in a warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, you'd go to, you know, like often Nashville Soundcheck was a, was a really popular space to, to rehearse in. And so they'd bring the rig into Soundcheck or if, if it was big enough, they'd bring it down to the, to the old arena in Nashville mm-hmm. and they'd set it all up. And we'd program for 
two days max. Like nobody ever got like a week, like this whole like week long rehearsal stuff. Like that didn't right, exist. Right. <laughs> you know, like it was like one, two days and then you're hitting the road, go do a show. Right. And so having the console set up was a big deal. Yeah. And it was getting to the point where like building all your presets and all that stuff took a lot of time. And so like these guys started offloading on me and I started getting to like kind of set their consoles up for them. Okay. That got me on the hog. And we had in that before I really started doing that, my parents had actually bought a hog for their play, a small okay, hog. Sure. And so that, that got me the exposure to the platform. And then when I started getting to work on the real hogs, like the hog two and such, man, I, I like just ran with it. Yeah. And these guys were loving how I was setting things up, you know, very organized presets and palettes and all that stuff. And so that turned into programming work. Okay. And it was very low paying programming work at the time. I was just making a little extra here and there and I'm still doing my parents play and kind of transitioning out of that. And then my church, I uh, went to a church in Nashville and they were doing a youth conference. Okay. And they asked me to do the lighting design for it. They're okay. like, Tony, you're, you're, you're doing so many cool things right now. And they had used Drew the year before Drew Baca. And they said, we, you know, we Drew's too busy for us now. Would you be interested in like, jumping okay. in and doing this. And I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. And so that was my first, like, I remember I like, I think I made a thousand dollars. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> to design this event, you know, it was like nothing. Right. And, uh, and I worked for probably three weeks for a thousand dollars to make that event. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like just, just going all out. And I cut deals I- with the lighting company and like set it all up and we used Imagine to do it, and, it, and the event turned out really good. I did not uh, know what I was doing. I was a, it was a total sure mess, you know. Thankfully, we got through it. Well, I can imagine uh, making a thousand bucks for three weeks of work. You were probably thinking, "I can't believe they're paying me to do this." <laughs> right? Yeah. No, and that's the thing, right? Like yeah. you're at that age and at that sort of like intersection of what's the word of um of excitement or, or just like, you're just, you're just so excited to even get your hands on it. Right. Right. You know, you're like, man, I'm getting to do this. And I remember, imagine, let me set the rig up in the warehouse. And I, and I set the whole thing up myself. I think me and my girlfriend at the time did it together (laughs) because she was like, Oh, I I need to hang out with you. So yeah. If we're going to have time together, I'm going to use it, learn to use a wrench. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously. She did. She literally did. She was like, Clipping like clamps onto the lights and like he handed me stuff. And I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. Here's your safety. I was like, yeah. Got it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so we, we did that together. And like, that was like our, that was, I was living the dream. I thought. Sure. You know? Yeah. It's so great. And um, yeah. And then from that point I got offered to do another, it was like, I was doing like all the church conferences and like, or like the youth conferences, like uh-huh. Chris Tomlin was just a, becoming a thing at the sure, time. Like yeah, he was, yeah. he wasn't anybody. And, and he was like traveling around with his little band. Some of those guys are actually still with him, which is really right, cool. That is cool. He's had a long, he's had a long run, but yeah, this is like, again, we're talking like 2000, 2001. Right. Like right. That, that's, that's where I was. So you kind of get your foot in the door doing lighting, doing programming, then doing more of the design stuff. Is there a point now? So would you consider yourself now a production designer more than a lighting designer? Yeah, it's transitioned to that in the last number of years. Yeah. And I love, you know, I loved, I don't want to use it in past tense because I still do lighting, but yeah, I, I really did love doing lighting and I really do love doing lighting. Mm-hmm. But lighting sort of evolved over the last 10 years into 
now it's structure. Now it's scenic. Now there's a lot of video elements involved. Right, right. And it grew from just programming the moving lights to just becoming an all-encompassing. The, the show is now in the control of the lighting director. Right, right. Well, I think so much of it is back in the day, lighting was all you had. And so that's the visual that you're getting at an event or at a church or whatever. But now with video content, that's visual. Um, the, yeah. What the structure looks like is visual. And so it does make yeah. sense for it to all kind of go together instead of three or four separate entities. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I'll, I guess I'll lead into that. Career progressed. I worked at another lighting company for a little bit. They had me in the shop scrubbing park hands. Uh-huh. Uh, polishing park hands. Okay. <laughs> um, but they, they knew I was a programmer and they knew I had chops and that I could do stuff. And so they started throwing me out on country events. They were, they were like a mainstream lighting company in Nashville. Okay. They started throwing me out on like actual proper shows. Uh-huh. And when I started doing proper, like mainstream events, you know, that's when everything gets real. You know, yeah. you go when you're dealing, doing small time Christian conferences and things like that, like there's no pressure. Right. And the moment you get into like where everybody's getting paid really and, you know, all of that, like it changes, everything changes. Yeah. And so, you know, I remember getting to do a number of video shoots in town and then it grew into, uh, they asked me to go tour with a boy band, like a real, like it was a boy band called O-Town. They were okay. on making the band on MTV. Like they were huge. Uh-huh. You know, selling or they were selling out arenas and stuff. Wow. And um and so I wanted to do that. That was like my life goal was to like be on a real tour. You know, right. I've been reading about these tours, you know. Yeah. I want to live like, on a bus. <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, I had already been traveling my whole life. I was just like oh, true, I'm ready yeah. to go I'm ready to go do this for real. Uh-huh. Like you know, for a real paying ticket and like really have a real rig and a crew and all, you know, all the things that go with that. Little did I know, being the new guy on a tour, the youngest guy, you were literally going to get your butt kicked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's what proceeded to happen uh-huh. over the next couple of years. You know, I loaded in and, hey, man, you don't have to do anything till this afternoon, so you're going to pull all the feeder. And why don't you pull all the looms out to all the trusses, too, while you're at it? And why don't you, you know, it's like, go pull the snake. You yeah. know, and so, like... <laughs> Instead of being like the hotshot LD, you're all yeah. of a sudden the grunt that's pulling all the cable. Right, right. And those that's humbling, you know? It's humbling and it's like, okay, I, I can do that. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I would just get in and do anything I could because I wanted to learn the business from the ground up. Rigging, I used to spend time with the riggers and ask tons of questions that I'm sure annoyed them. Sure, right. But, you know, I got to see... I got to see rigs over those few years get installed in buildings that were really difficult. And so I learned a lot about rigging during that time. You yeah. Know? So yeah, it was those early days. It was those early days that really helped me get a greater understanding of what a live show is and how hard it right. can be and the difficulties of putting a big rig in a room. Right, know? right. So yeah. Yeah. And so just even thinking about like how to pull feeder, how to run the looms, like all those things are part of you know the the building blocks of what you're doing and so yeah. i would imagine it's a useful foundation for even thinking about how would i design something knowing in the back of your head where is the power coming from and yeah how painful yeah. would this was take too much time and load in or That's load right. out or 
yeah, just all those things that you've been about are helpful to know now. That's right. Yeah. There are a lot, I I don't want to bag on anybody, but there are a lot of younger guys that are coming into our business right now that have not had hands-on time and hands-on experience. Yeah. And it is, it's really detrimental to what these productions are becoming because they're, they're drawing stuff that looks great in a visualizer like WYSIWYG or pick your, pick your flavor visualizer. And it looks awesome. And the clients are going, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not realizing that this all comes at a very high price. Right. Right. And the price is usually paid in time Mm -hmm. and it's paid in effort and it's paid in, you know, just hardcore labor. Right. Right. And, or it's an extra semi truck, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of money involved. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's just all these things. Right. And they don't, they don't necessarily understand what it takes to load a show of the magnitude they've drawn. Yeah. And so I think that's where having those early beginnings where I was loading shows in and doing all that. And that didn't end. I loaded shows in. I still shows in. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I absolutely love it. I don't have to be as hands-on with the cable as any, anymore, yeah. but, you know, I'm very, I'm still very hands-on with the crew and I'm still very much involved in every step of it. Right. Because right. I love it. But a lot of young guys are not doing that. They're coming in and they're watching the crew build their picture. Right, right. And they're not, and then they're leaving as soon as it's over, and they're not realizing the intensity that goes into building something so. Immense. Right, right. There's something really cool about designing something amazing that will take a lot of work and is maybe bigger than we can afford or whatever. But to let, allow yourself to dream big, like. As an example, the U2 360 tour, you know, that giant claw and there's three of them, you know, I'm just like, I would never go there from a design standpoint because of the impracticalities involved, but there's something really useful about that. And so I'm curious, just even that for yourself, like that balancing out of doing something amazing and maybe harder than we should be doing versus something that's efficient and practical and but also isn't yeah. blowing anyone's minds. Right, right. Yeah, so that's the, <laughs> you're bringing up the, the age-old dilemma, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So the age-old dilemma in this business is how do we do something amazing with the budget that we've been given? Right. Or these set of parameters. Sometimes it's the space you've been given is the right. parameter, is the one that's really the cruncher. Yeah. Sometimes it's the, uh, sometimes it's the money, sometimes it's, the client just really wants specific things, yeah. you know, and that's hard too. Cause you can't, you gotta like, you know, you gotta create something that they want. Right. And I, th- I think the number one thing I've learned over the years is it's not about me. You have to take, you have to take your focus off yourself and what you think is amazing and yeah. realize it's about the bigger picture. I would say probably the number one thing with all of that is get creative step away and realize, okay, it's not about me. How can I serve this job the best that I can? And then apply your expertise as much as you can go in and like, okay, I I know that we can maximize this space by doing X, Y, Z. For me, I always start, I always, you know, like I, I did this conference for a church recently, uh, about two years ago and it was called motion. And it was in an old arena in Birmingham and they really wanted to blow the doors off on this event and do something that, you know, just barely fit in the building. (laughs) And so 
So I said, okay, well, let's do it. And, you know, I started with the venue. I, I brought them. I, there was no model of this. It was the BJCC in Birmingham and there was no model of this building. So like Uh I took these old CAD drawings and I turned it into a full on 3d model. I built a realistic model of the space, which allowed me then to design to its maximum capacity. Sure. Uh Uh-huh. So you're maximizing the space right off the get-go. Yeah, yeah. You're going, okay, here's how I can use every balcony entrance around the building to place lighting, how I can use the uh, available grid space. You know, all of a sudden I've got, I know that my steel is here and I know that my stage is here and I've got all the space to fill in in between. So then all of a sudden you can create something that really maximizes it. Without that, you could draw something right. that you think is cool and show up on site and it's 10 feet too tall. Right, right. Or, oh, we didn't realize these were going to be bridal points to get here, so now we've actually lost 20 feet. Right, right. And so starting with the venue and designing around a venue can actually allow you to to fully utilize the space. Yeah. Which I'm finding that to be a lot more fun than designing tours because tours kind of have to be moldable and they have to fit anywhere. Yeah, they fit fit, fit everywhere, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the WAP events, you can you can kind of fully maximize the space, which is yeah. really cool. Yeah. Does that answer the question? I hope it does. Yeah, yeah. I think it's easy if you're a technical person at a church or maybe you're the lighting person to see a tour that comes through and be like, well, of course, they've got all the money and the budgets. And, and so, you know, we can never do that because we don't have those things. And I think the thing uh, that I notice is that I mean, even those tours have constraints uh, that you're working Absolutely. inside of and you're having to work around budgets and, you know, space and all that stuff. And I think it can so often be a roadblock for people to think creatively about their space yeah. and what they're capable of with what they have that they just kind of opt out. Yeah, I could never do that. So never mind. Instead of being like, what do I have? What can I do with it? whether it's gear you already own or, or a budget that you can tap into or something, but to think about, yeah, how, here's what I have in front of me. How can, what, what can I, cool thing can I do with it? Yeah. It's a tough one. I find that the number one issue that I've been coming across with church scenarios like that is trust. Trust. Yeah. The, the senior, the senior staff, not trusting the, the technical staff. Yeah. Yeah. I find that a lot. And it's, it's kind of an interesting thing is like, I know I can do this cool thing, you know, that the staff guy saying, I know I can do this cool thing, but I don't know how to show that to my leadership. Right. I don't know how to get it in front of them in a way that's effective. And I see that story a lot and it's, it's hard, you know, you have to develop some skills in order to do presentations right, and right. present what you're capable of. And so for the young guys that are out there right now that are just wanting to increase the quality of what they're doing, it's not just an A to B thing. There, there are personalities involved and there's connections that need to be made and there has, and there's trust that needs to be built. Yeah. And in order to go from, you know, my eight park hands and my, you know, whatever you have to build, you have to, it's a building process, I guess you could yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. So for you, I mean, I would imagine you're now getting hired by different people based on kind of implied trust. Like they've, they know somebody that trusts you or they've seen your work. And so they, but yeah, it didn't happen overnight. And even thinking about some of the things you've already talked about was, 
I'm willing to pull feeder cable. I'm ready to do whatever. You tell me what you need and I'm ready to do, which is such a trust building activity. Uh, but it yeah. feels like, oh man, they're just giving me the grunt work. Are you willing to do right. the grunt work? You know, yeah. is yeah. a trust Are you building to get activity. get in there and get it done? Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe the grunt work, work in a church is rehanging all the leakos in your space yeah to where they're to where they're hung in a way that makes a lot more sense than how you found them yeah you know i i I get blown away by the buildings i walk into sometimes and they have just had no care right yeah well if you're running a lighting department or if you're trying to increase the productivity or or make the lighting look better in general well it starts with wiping all the lights off yeah (laughs) Clean the lenses. It really does. Yeah. Clean the lenses. Clean the reflectors. Take them apart. Don't break anything. Put them back together. <laughs> Maximize what you have. Yeah. And and you start saying those words and people start going, I don't know if I got time for that. Right. That's a lot of work. It doesn't sound like you fun. You want me to get up in the grid and like move 50 lights around? Like, I don't yeah. I mean, that one comes on. It's close. It's not bad. Right, right. <laughs> well, the difference between being great and being average is that you're yeah. going to go up in the grid. You're going to refocus the lights. You're going to rehang them, make sure they're symmetrically spaced. You're going to make sure that they're focused correctly. You're going to make sure that they hit the right person. You're going to make sure there's color correction. You're going to make sure there's a safety on every light. You're going to make sure they're plugged into adequate. I mean, you're going to go through the steps to make it work. Right. 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 And that, I don't know. I, I try to teach that to people, but it's, it's easier said than done because it's a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, it is the, yeah. the, to be excellent in production or lighting or whatever the area is, or I mean, anything in life, really, it's about those tiny details added up together, make something really amazing. Right. And yeah, they don't just do themselves. You have to put a safety on every light. That's. Yeah. yeah and you have something. to plan general maintenance time, you know, throughout the year. Yeah. You know, like that's just the thing you have to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so there feels like there's two versions of trust. There's the one with trust with the people on your crew, or if you're on someone's crew, your crew chief, or you know the if you're setting up lights, the people who understand what's happening. You're building trust with them by I'm willing to pull this feeder cable, however many times. Then there's the yeah maybe where you are now, which is the people that you're doing the design for trust you. And they don't care yeah. about how many times you pulled feeder cable. They don't even know what feeder cable right. is. So what is right. the what is that trust dynamic look like for you? Like how do you build trust there when you can't say, Hey, I I've you know, I put in my time pulling that feeder cable. Doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, it's a great question. It's a it's a balance, you know. So I'll go back to the I want to go back to the first trust first. Uh-huh. The first trust is now in my position when I'm working with a, with a vendor and their crew, and maybe it may be guys I use more often than not, or whenever they're available when I can. Right. I've built trust with some of these guys and helped them to realize that I'm not going to design something and spec it incorrectly. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pair the amount of crew guys with the size of the rig in the wrong way. Got it. Yeah. If I if I design something to a certain scale, then I'm going to make sure that we've coupled with it the 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 correct size crew. Right. Right. And a, and a budget that accommodates that. Yeah. Because 
you cannot, you know, and this is where things get out of whack in our business is that, you know, the people inexperienced people will come in and they'll design something that's grandiose and beautiful and awesome, but they will not realize that it takes an, an equal or greater size budget to staff it right, and to build it uh, to where everyone is not going to be working on the clock. Right. And so my pitch with the people I work for, maybe not even a pitch, it's just a conversation I begin having is, are we thinking through the budget in terms of what it's actually going to take to do this in a sane way? Right. Um, you know, a lot of churches have been, it's a lot of big churches that do big events have been through some pain points where vendors don't want to work with them anymore because, right. you know, because yeah. they've, because they've, they've made some mistakes in the past. Right. And so they've, they've tried to hire this big vendor to come in and, and produce the show for them. And they have not adequately thought through the costs involved in crewing the event. Right. Right. And, and it's burned everybody into the ground. Right. And so how I, I find it fun because I get to be sort of a bridge to, to, to not only protect the vendor, but also to protect the client. So they don't end up coming off like a bunch of jerks. Right. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> like we, in, in Christendom, we are not supposed to be the, the ones that don't think it all through. We're not supposed to be the ones that are behind the eight ball. Right. Right. You know, and I, when I do Christian events, I am a Christian I, and I love doing these events. And so I always try to take the excellence level up quite a, quite a high step. Right. Right. And really think through every step so that we don't end up leaving egg on anyone's faces. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah. I think the church typically, well, I just know this from tours coming through Willow Creek, you know, like their expectations are pretty low coming in to a church and knowing that all our crew is all volunteers or whatever. But it was really important to me to be like, I'm going to provide the best people we can and we're going to knock this out. I mean, they're not like union yeah. guys or they, they don't do this every night, but we know how to plug stuff together and we follow directions. And that was something that mattered to me that when somebody yeah. comes in, they don't hate when they leave. <laughs> and it made all the difference in the world. I remember coming through Willow Creek and, and the, and the crew being not only amazing attitudes, but, but they actually understood how to get things done pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. Because you guys were doing some very different <laughs> things than a lot of yeah. the rest of the nation was doing at that yeah. time. You guys were sort of the leaders in creating production and church really. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. Well, some a big time deal. ago. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, I, I'm trying to remember those days. Yeah, they were fun. Also, a lot of work. I remember a lot of yeah. late nights. Well, but yeah, to have a to have a big idea, you have to back it up with you got to execute it, or it's just still an idea. So, got to put the time in to do something amazing. So, yeah, I huh. you know I re I remember. So I I guess I can talk openly about this the most recent passion. We I remember what, some of the conversations early on about that event were we're talking about, you know, are we going to, how are we going to staff it? And what are you planning to do from a programming standpoint? And how right. do you, how do we get around this thing where our guys are staying up all night long? Right. And, and we work through that, you know, one of their guys, uh, Davis, and I'll call him out by name. He's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Young programmer at passion and he's a designer in his own right. Absolutely unbelievable. Sort of like I was when I was a kid, but he's, he's got such passion for the gig. Uh -huh. He loves it so much that he wants to stay up all night. Yeah. Like that's his thing. I couldn't pull him <laughs> away from it. I literally couldn't pull him away from the uh, console. 
I wanted to so bad. Like, I, and I told him many times, I'm like, buddy, you got to go home and like get some rest because tomorrow is an all day event and you're going to yeah. be exhausted. And he's like, no, man, I, I just want to make sure that this one segment is perfect and I can only do it tonight in the middle of the night. Right, right. And I was like, I mean, you're making that call. I want you to know that we staffed this so you didn't have to do this. So right. just letting you know. Yeah, uh, yeah that's uh, that, like, no. yeah, the passion event uh, this past year was at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Is yeah. that what they call that? Yeah. Um, yeah. which was, uh, I mean, I only saw it from backstage, so it seemed like the lighting design was really cool, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah from backstage. it turned out okay. Yeah, it turned out okay. I mean, they, it, it, the, the scale of that event is so big. Yeah. And I was really proud to be a part of that this year. Like it, it is, it's an undertaking to get it done in the amount of time that they have. Right, right. A lot of people don't know. A lot of people don't know the ins and outs of it. But like, there's a major ball game that happens in there right before Passion goes in the room. Right, right. It's the Chick Fil A Bowl, and it basically backs up. We don't have a week to load the show in. We have two days. Yeah, and that's it. And it is, it in a normal world you would plan to build a show that scale. Right. And so Ian this comes back to Ian Cavill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ian and I have Ian and I have remained friends over the years and uh, we used to have dinner at each other's houses and but Ian and I would Ian and I had many conversations going into this year's event about how how to adequately staff and how to adequately do an event to this scale so that everyone's not getting burned out. Right. And it was that was a huge undertaking and people don't realize that we only have two days and that there's not a week and that's, you know, there's literally no rehearsal time. And, you know, you never see the whole show once through ever. Right. You never see it once through. Yeah. You just, it just happens as it happens. Right. So you're, there's all this pre-programming and pre-visualization that happens and a lot of forethought and you show up and you cross your fingers and you hope it all goes good the first time. Right. Because that's the first time you're seeing all this stuff come together. Yeah. And it's, and it's uh, and it's a lot of people's time and effort and all of those things, and they're all passionate about how things are going to look and how perfect it's going to be. Right, right. And um, and hitting all of that and making it all right the first time is like, yeah, crazy. <laughs> you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, so I was a stage manager uh, at that event. Yeah. And so, like, helping speakers get on and off the stage, and you know, among other things, and there was uh, right where the steps were for that speaker when they're coming down off the stage, there was a light sitting there just shining back towards the audience, but they were, the speaker is like walking up stage into that light. And so my job was always, I was like, I'm thinking classic lighting people have like, this is where the light has to go. But like, it's the most inconvenient, like someone's going to die here because they're blinded. So I, my job was to block the light when the person walked by. It's like, I had a, like a piece of paper or something, you know, cardboard to just like, yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah, walk yeah. by it. Okay. And I'm sure you were, yeah, you were probably in the booth like, where does that light, keep, that beam keeps disappearing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, you know, on that, on that event specifically, we had so many lights. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. It was just a big You can't thing, think so. of everything. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, I'm not, just, I'm not yeah. pinpointing on one out of a thousand. <laughs> yeah. It's not on my radar. Yeah. Next time I know, I'll just <laughs> unplug it and we'll be good. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> They'll never notice. <laughs> I might, I might look, I might look at it like 
you know, and it was some, you know, I, and that event I was in the, sh- I was in the, I was not at front of house. I was in the truck. Okay. And so, you know, we're watching what's, what the camera's seeing the totally, whole time. Yeah, and right. so I had a multi-view in front of me looking at all the, at all the different angles and then I'm watching what's going to program. And I mean, a lot of information gets lost on camera yeah. and that's, that is the sad thing. Unless you're in the room, you don't really get to enjoy the, 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 the grandeur full, of it yeah, all. Right. Yeah. Cause it really is something special to see in person. So uh, here's a question. I know we've been talking a long time, but I'm curious about your transition of light, you know, lighting for a live room versus lighting for, for TV. Video. Yeah. The, that, yeah, that difference that, and how going into it, did you feel like as soon as we turn the cameras on, we're nailing it? Or is there like tons of adjustment that's happening? Or have you already kind of in the back of your mind, we know that front light needs to be here versus backlight versus scenic versus LEDs? Yeah. So now, now for me over the last, let's call it the last eight, eight, nine years, maybe almost 10 years now, it's it slowly but surely is now a formula that I can reproduce over sure, and over, yeah. over and over again okay. very easily. But, and no matter what the rig is, I, sure. I know the formula now yeah. and the formula is unchanging. The rigs are the things that change. So you've got to adjust the formula to make all that all pieces, but the formula never really changes. It's sure. Levels and, you know, background and depth of field and all those sure, things. Yeah. All Color sort of, temperatures and yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. So, did you learn that just by doing it and seeing it on camera and realizing, okay, I need to change the formula or did somebody teach you? Did you read a book? Like I'd be curious on that level too. Yeah. So somebody did teach me. So uh, yeah, every, you've heard me drop some names as I've been going along, different guys that have affected my career and kind of pointed me in the right direction. And there's one guy specifically I was working for Jeremy camp back around the time we met. Yep. Okay. Oh, Oh six. And there was a guy, uh, we were, we were getting ready to go on a tour that was co-headlined by Stephen Kurtz Chapman and Jeremy. Okay? okay. And Stephen had been using this lighting designer named Scott Moore and okay. he was out of Nashville and Scott, I had only heard of Scott by reputation, but all of my friends knew him, like Drew Baca and Andy Dunning and like all the guys that I really loved to all talked about Scott and how great his stuff was. And they all were telling me like, oh man, if you ever get to see a Scott Moore show, like you've got to go see it. Like his stuff is perfect. Uh Little did I know, like this was going to be a 15 year (laughs) journey that I was about to enter. And he, Scott... I met him when we went into maybe the day before we went into rehearsals for this tour and we met in Nashville. We drove up in his SUV up to, uh, I think the first show was in Knoxville and we drove up there and I programmed for him all night long that night. Okay. And then I was going to actually run the show for both artists. And so I ended up doing Jeremy's and, and then his, and then Steven's piece and Scott and I just hit it off. Like, immediately we both love to draw we both love vector works yeah and so like that was our initial connection it's like we're both cad guys we love to like get in there and draw symbols and create all the stuff and objects uh-huh. and all this stuff and we just nerded out about that the whole time the whole way and i told him how i started on mini cad he was like oh me yeah, too yeah. you know and he's <laughs> he's significantly older than me he was actually using it properly when i was like learning in the yeah. 90s he was like using it for events you know 
And so like, I, I was just like, wow, this is so cool. So, uh, so we did that event. I was not up to par on the console that we were on and I needed to learn a lot to, to work with somebody at his level. Cause he was like blowing my mind on all the things he could do. And so, and how prepared he was, like, it was unreal. And so I remember walking away from that and that tour was about three months long. And so I was stuck on the road for three months. And I remember walking away from that experience and going, A, I don't want to be the guy pressing the button on a tour anymore. Okay. You know, it's tiring. It's exhausting. And, and it's the same thing. And it's so repetitive and I'm not using this designer mind that I've got. I can do, I can do these designs over and over and over again, but doing these shows, it's the same design every night. And you're just, you're just overthinking how perfect that can be every night. Right. Right. And so I really wanted to get off the road and stop being the guy pushing the button. Cause there's lots of guys that are really good at pushing the button. You're just taking up a job at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. And I want, I want other people to have their opportunity. So I, I got with Scott after that tour and I just called him and I said, Hey, I don't know what you're doing over the next little while. I've been working for Jeremy for a number of years and I love him, but like, I would love to do something new. And Scott wrote me in and he said, well, you know, I produced the women of faith tours and the, these were just women's tours. I mean, it's not exciting. It's not Mm -hmm. exciting stuff, but there were some fundamentals that happened when I went and did those events because they're all for video. Right. Right. They're shot in the round there. It's about a six camera thing and there's screens on all sides of the rig. And most of the audience is staring at the screens the whole time. Right, right. And so the video needs to look great. I mean, the key light needs to look great. And that's really all there is on this event. There's there's key light <laughs> and a little bit of scenic. And uh-huh. that has to be killer because you're looking through the performer at the audience again. You right, know, like right. All the camera shots are just basically shooting straight through. So the only really thing that you're looking at is the key light. And so... I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be good at this, but I would love to give it a shot. And mm-hmm. so he, he got me out there and boy, oh boy, was I in for like an education of a lifetime. <laughs> and I was coming from rock and roll, like rock and roll style music where everything's totally. flashy and upbeat and, you know, as bright as possible. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Like burning everybody's retinas and, you know, can do really anything because it's just an open, you know, it's up to your creativity. To all of a sudden, a very controlled, very methodic event. Right, right. And if, it, and if it's not perfect and a light doesn't come up on this person just at the right time, you've missed the moment. Yeah. So all of a sudden, those things are very, very, very important. So I, I just got with him and we just, I started learning, man. I, I, he showed me how to use my, use a meter correctly. Okay. And, you know, that was like the first thing, that's the first step to getting good with video is like learning how to meter the lights out. Right. Right. And what levels are we needing for this camera? And, you know, it went from there to color temperature and then it started diving into like focal length and, you know, just different things that like really spoke to having a career in television in like doing TV lighting. Right. And so we did some, we did that tour for a number of years. I didn't always tour with it. I would kind of come and go and sometimes help it get set up. And then I would, and then I would like come out and check on it occasionally. And then, right, right. Uh, and then we did other stuff together and he, his business was really mainly just designing events. 
Okay. With, you know, he had a couple of anchor things that he did, but he would pick up as many design jobs as he could. And once he had me working with him, we were able to take on more. Okay. And so that's what we did. We started to kind of build the design piece out. And that's when I got my chops and rendering way up, you know, rendering out right. stuff and, you know, creating beautiful plots. Like my, my plots went from decent to like over the moon, you know, at, I don't want to say, I don't want to, I don't want to brag about anything, but I, I feel like I've been doing CAD for a long time. And so it's like right. getting, it's getting pretty good now. Yeah. And I'm excited about that, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was where, that's how it all happened. That's how it all happened. Scott yeah. Moore, he's the, he's the guy. And still to this day, he designs the Dove Awards and the Caleb Awards and okay. does all the production design for those events. And then I kind of come along and do whatever piece he needs me to do. Sure, sometimes yeah. it's lighting, sometimes it's video. It's, you know, it's, a, it's a revolving door. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Well, hey, yeah. I, I feel like I could probably keep asking you questions. So maybe we'll schedule another time to, to ask, <laughs> ask those questions. Uh, but thanks for your time. This has been great to kind of catch up and... Uh, yeah, thanks for being on our podcast. Todd, I loved it. Thank you so much for even inviting me to do this. And uh, maybe we'll get another opportunity to do it in the future. Thank you. Yeah, great. All right, we'll talk soon. One, two, three, four. I was really impressed with how tenacious Tony was always learning, just digging into whatever was in front of him. I just think... It's an example we should all follow. I mean, always learning something new. I also love the part of our conversation about building trust, both with your crew and with your leadership. I mean, two very different groups that need very different things from us in order for us to build that trust. Uh, as we were talking about, like the crew loves that you're willing to run feeder cable, but your leadership doesn't care. They don't even know what feeder cable is. And so, you know, there's a different type of trust building that needs to happen there. And then really tied into that idea was the fact that details matter and that you have to put the time in to get them right. They don't just automatically happen. And so, yeah, putting that time in is a great way of building trust with both your leadership and with your crew. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to the next conversation we get to have together. All right, just a quick announcement before we finish. If you're interested in being a part of our next round of Philo cohorts, you could sign up at philo.org slash coaching. Uh, these are great times, just small group gatherings of tech people from really around the world. And I'll be leading a group of 10 technical artists over a four-week span starting on June 17th. Uh, and I'm really excited about that. And Aubrey, our favorite host uh, from the Philo Conference, she'll be leading a group of all-female technical artists that will begin on June 11th. So I know the last round for her and the one that I did, they were amazing. And I can't wait to hear stories from this next round. And you can check that out at philo.org slash coaching if you're interested in being a part of either one of those cohorts this summer. All right, you can stay up to date on all we have going on over here at Philo by following us at, at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram. We're on Twitter at Philo Conference. And we'd also love to hear from you. You could send us your ideas about future podcasts or main session speakers at Philo, or if you have some encouragement for us, we'd love to hear all of it. Uh, even critique, yeah, feedback, how we can be better. We want to know all the stuff. So you can send us an email at philopodcast at philo.org. All right, see you next time. Bye. Bye.